at verses 14 through 16. Looking at the uh, issue of worship, the title of my message this morning is Pilgrim Worship. I don't have an outline to hand out to you. I think the text uh, flows fairly easily uh, to help you with uh, taking notes. But the... um, the idea is, is pilgrim worship. What, is, what, is, uh, what, what defines the life of a pilgrim? And we're going to see that what defines the life of the pilgrim is glad worship of the Lord. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, then, let's, we're going to begin reading at verse 7, and we'll read through verse 16. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's ask for his blessing. God in heaven, we need to hear this morning a word from you. Thank you that you have uh, revealed yourself in Scripture and you've given the Spirit so that we might understand. I pray, Lord, for your then uh, supernatural uh, grace and power, uh, both for me as I speak and for us as we hear. We want to hear Jesus and worship him. We pray in his name. Amen. Last week, if uh, you remember, if you were here, we were looking at the prior verses and asking the question, um, what really is your life about? And, and we, we confess together that we hope that when we come to our deathbed, uh, that we can say, by the grace of God, what it was about was going to Jesus, uh, that that's uh, the defining goal of a Christian life. We want to be uh, engaged in the mission of Christ. We want to uh, willingly bear the reproach of Christ because uh, we're on a pilgrim journey recognizing here we have no lasting city, but we seek, we long for, we hunger for the city that is to come. Uh, The Christian life is a pilgrim life. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson is attributed with the saying, it's not the destination, it's the journey. You probably uh, have seen that on motivational posters I hope you don't own such a poster. Um, It is not the journey, right, for me. It's the destination. Amen? It's the destination. That is what a Christian is seeking. The fallacy, you see, of that axiom is is easily illustrated. Joanne and I had the privilege uh, back in 2012 of of, uh, taking a sabbatical, and we we spent uh, about 10 days in Hawaii, and so we were on a Delta Airlines flight for six hours where they served nothing but peanuts. 
which was surprising to me, but because uh, you're, uh, because it's, it's the United States, continental or not, uh, they just serve peanuts. So that was six hours on a Delta Airlines flight um, with nothing to do, nothing to eat. And yet we, uh, we chose to do it. We, we gladly paid for it and um, gladly endured it. Why? Well, we had a pilgrim mindset. We're on our way to somewhere really good. At least that's what we'd heard. We've seen some pictures. So we were excited about the destination. Well, that's exactly, you see, the way the Christian lives in the world. The destination makes all the difference. We need to have a pilgrim mindset. And the main point that I want us to see this morning is that there's a direct link between that pilgrim mindset and worship. Verse 15 flows directly and naturally from verse 14. It is precisely the people who are recognized that here we have no lasting city, and the people who are seeking the city to come, the fruit of that life, the fruit of that mindset is going to be worship. It's going to be a life that um, is continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. And so this morning we're going to see in verses uh, 14, 15, and 16 that uh, the worship of a pilgrim is through Jesus Christ. Uh, the worship of a pilgrim is nonstop. The worship of a pilgrim is comprehensive, embracing all of our life, and it's pleasing to God. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Uh, the writer reminds us that our worship is through Him, through Jesus Christ. And thinking again specifically of Jesus Christ in His cross work, which, which sort of stands in the New Testament for um, the Jesus that we worship. Paul says, I, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, the cross work of Jesus Christ sort of stands in the New Testament for all that Christ accomplished, what he came to do, what his mission was about, and the accomplishment of that mission. It just, uh, Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I had received, namely that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. And you can find many other texts like that. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The, the, the apostles keep referring to the death of Christ. And not just his dying, but his, his dying standing for the essential purpose of Christ. He came to rescue sinners from hell. That's why Jesus came. He came because this world was lost in, in the bondage of sin and death. That is the universal message of Scripture. And so he came, you see, to give us life, not tips on a better lifestyle. He didn't come to give us health and wealth. You see, there's, there are different versions of Jesus in the evangelical world even today. There's, a, there's the health and wealth Jesus who came to help you thrive and flourish financially and emotionally, uh, relationally in this world if you just exercise your faith. There's the social justice Jesus who came to right things that are wrong. There's the therapeutic Jesus who comes to make you feel better. There's the life coach Jesus who gives you very motivational uh, tips on how to make your life work in the here and now. And, and that's all of these 
different versions of Jesus are, re- are related to this present world here and now. Now, does Jesus Christ have something to say to this present world here and now? Absolutely. But it all flows from what Jesus came to do for you and I in regards to the life that is to come. He came to rescue us from the the wrath due to us because of our violation of the law of God. Uh, You see, that the the issue that Jesus came to address is access, and that's what the writer is, is referencing here. Through him talks about, well, it's access. You go through a door. The issue that Jesus came to address is how can sinners like us come before the Lord? That is the great dilemma of mankind. Now, it does not, you know, if you just look around our culture, our, our, our neighborhood, our community, it, this is not the most pressing question for Americans. It does not seem to them difficult to go to God. Uh, going to God is equivalent to going to Walmart. Why couldn't I go if I want to go? What would be the problem? And you see, the reason people ask that question is because sin has blinded us to what the holiness of God actually means and what our sin really deserves. And so that question is not really heavy on the hearts and minds of people by by nature, but it is the burning question of Scripture. And it shows up immediately in Scripture when God says to Adam, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then Adam eats of it, and there you have it. How will Adam not die? How can Adam stand in the presence of of God. Psalm 24 asks the question very clearly. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer, of course, is he that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to idols or iniquity. Well, do you have clean hands? Do you have a pure heart? Can you stand before a consuming fire called God? Not me. So how do, we, how do we do this? You see, the, the reality is, by virtue of uh, our, the sin that we have in Adam and the sin that we personally commit, we do not have access to God. If you've ever tried to log into a website where you need to log in and you, you've forgotten your password, you, know the, you have the feeling, right? Access denied. No password, no entry. Well, that's precisely the issue that faces every man and woman and child in the world. In regard to the presence of God, how shall we come before the Lord? What's the password? The prophet Micah in chapter 6 offered some options which highlights the drama of this dilemma. Micah 6, with what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Will that suffice? Is that enough? Then the answer, of course, is no. No, the sacrifice of your firstborn will not atone for your sin. There are tragically people in the world who attempt to atone for their guilt precisely in that way. But your firstborn is not sufficient. 
The beauty of the gospel is that his firstborn is. That God gave his firstborn in order to reconcile sinful men and women and boys and girls to God. And, and what we get in that, you see, is, is not just forgiveness. The gift is access. That's the gift of the gospel. It's the gift of access. Escaping from hell is not the treasure promised in the gospel. God is the treasure promised in the gospel. God is the treasure. And so the promise of forgiveness and the free gift of imputed righteousness, those are just the necessary prerequisites. That's the password. So you get into the very presence of God. And it's the only password that will work. There's no other. Salvation is found in no other name. Jesus says, no man comes to the Father except by me. And so this, you see, this is the issue of the gospel, and this is the issue that this writer has been pressing home with these tired pilgrims. They are so worn out. It's been, it's been a hard struggle. They've lost so much as Christians, and they're tempted to go back. So how do you encourage weary pilgrims who are tired from the journey? Maybe some of you can identify with that today. You're just tired. If you, if, you had your, if you had your choice this morning, what you'd really like to do is just go into a corner someplace quiet and maybe just cry. That's how tired you are. So how do you encourage your weary pilgrims? Well, you hold before them, you see, the destination, the treasure, that we have the ability, that we have this incredible blessing of access to God and communion with God. And we, and we have it now by faith and we'll have it soon by sight, but it's all ours, all given freely to us through Jesus Christ. He came to do this one thing, to lead sinners like you and me into the very presence of God. First Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. You're not alone. You're not doing this in your strength. Your life isn't just sort of the random collection of your experiences and circumstances. <clears throat> Jesus Christ died to bring you to God. And that because that's true, you see, it changes everything. And because that's true, then no matter where we are on the pilgrim journey, we can praise the name of the Lord our God. <clears throat> and that's the evidence then of a pilgrim. Verses 15 and 16 then hold together. Uh, verse 15 speaks of the sacrifice of praise from our lips. Verse 16, the sacrifice of love from our lives. Let's look at verse 15 first, the sacrifice of our lips. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The offering that Christian pilgrims give is the sacrifice of praise. Now, that idea of sacrifice would be very visual for these uh, early Christians. They had grown up in the Jewish community. They remember, they remember going to the temple. They could, they could still, in their mind's eye, see the animals being led for slaughter. They could see the smoke rising from the altar in the courtyard. They could smell the, 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 the smell of burning flesh and grilling meat. 
this aroma that, that ascends and, and in their minds as, they, uh, as children, right, they would see these things and, and know that as the smoke arises into the presence of God, the prayers of God's people ascend and it is pleasing to God. Very visual, very graphic. And they don't have that anymore. They don't have that sort of tangible uh, sense of things. But the writer says you have so much more. You see, Christians have privileges that Old Testament saints never had. Only the priests could offer up the sacrifices. Only the priests can go into the holy places. And the writer says, brother and sister, you get to do that every day. You get to enter the very most sacred, holy place, the very presence of God, and you get to offer up a sacrifice pleasing to him as you praise him, as you praise him. What is praise? Praise is just speaking the value and the worth and the goodness and the beauty of something. Uh, to praise God is to, is to reflect back to him the glories of God. It, it's, it's like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. And, and Christians, you see, stand, we stand in this world reflecting back, magnifying the glory of God, the, the wonder of his, his might, you see. And how do you do that? How do you, how do you show the, the, the value and the, and the worthiness of the might of God? You trust it. You appeal to it. You cast yourself on it. How do you magnify the love of God? You receive it. You delight in it. How do, you, how do you magnify the grace and goodness and the compassion of God? You, you enter into it as a sinner, a broken uh, person, a wicked person who has no hope but Jesus Christ and has all hope because of Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And as we believe, you see, we are, we are worshiping, reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. And then we sing. Like Paul in Romans 11, 13, 33, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the sacrifice of praise. It specifically references the, the, the character of God and the works of God and the worth of God. The songs in heaven, if you remember from the book of Revelation, are songs about the worth. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and power and wealth. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's the songs of heaven. Those are the songs of heaven. That's the sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You see, the great sin of mankind, your sin and my sin, is a failure to acknowledge the name of God, that God is God, and God is worthy of our worship and worthy of our obedience, worthy of our love, worthy of our trust, and every sin is a violation of that truth. But when God wakes us up in Jesus Christ, the reality of who he is, and when God has reconciled us to himself, we are now set free to sing as we acknowledge his name 
that God is God and we wouldn't want it any other way. And that, that acknowledgement of God is God, it won't only look like songs of praise. Sometimes it will look like songs of lament. David is worshiping in his songs of lament as he casts himself on the, on the kindness and, and the faithfulness of God, saying, how long, O Lord? How long? Have you cast me away from you? Will you forget me forever? You see, he's appealing to, the, to what he knows to be true about God as he sings those songs. The worship at times will look like song of, conf- of confession. We acknowledge God by both acknowledging his justice that we've offended and by pleading his mercy and his grace. Psalm 51, such a great example. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That's a way of acknowledging God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Therefore, you are proved right when you speak and justified when you, with, uh, when you judge. But wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. The Bible says, Psalm 51, 17, actually, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God delights as we acknowledge his name in prayers of confession. You see, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, that's the key. It's... it's when you acknowledge God as God, you don't have to, you don't have to try for worship. When you, when you acknowledge God as God, it is the natural fruit, you see, the thing that, that comes out, that, that is born by this heart conviction that God is God and God is worthy and God's the point. And that in Jesus Christ, you've been brought near to him. Well, when do we do this? Well, the Bible says, let us continually... There's an interesting um, little discussion. One of the commentators brought it up that there's the, the, the translated word here we have is continually, but, it, but he suggests that the better word, and I think he's right, would be continuous. For you English majors out there, uh, do you know the difference between continual and continuous? There is a difference. A continual, if you look at the synonyms, it, it becomes very clear. Continual, here are some synonyms. Repeated, frequent, recurrent. It's something that happens, and then it happens again, and then it happens again, and then it's like the, the, the beeper on your microwave, okay? That's continual. Continuous is different. Continuous is something that's incessant, unceasing, nonstop, unremitting, like your, your, your children complaining. <clears throat> Sorry, boys and girls. It just doesn't stop. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It, that's, that's the word, you see. The pilgrim's worship isn't something that we do at various intervals in life. It's the incessant, unce- unceasing, nonstop, unremitting, uninterrupted way that we live. When we have our eyes fixed on God, when we have our hearts set on the city that is to come. That means that we do not, that worship is not confined to Sundays. I remember uh, growing up, uh, the, the, commonly the, the pastor would say, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Without any hint of gladness, as I recall. But I was sure that that meant Sundays, right? This, this is the day the Lord has made. And so we need, to be, we need to be glad in this day. Well, 
Obviously, that couldn't have been what the Old Testament writer was referring to because um, he would have been referring to the Saturday. But the, uh, the bigger point is every day the Lord is made. And this is, this is the day of grace that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We don't just worship on Sundays. What we do on Sunday is glorious. I mean, we get to come together and have corporate worship with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we get to hear God speak to us and we celebrate the, the sacraments. It's a wonderful thing that happens, but worship doesn't stop when you hit those doors. It just keeps on going. I love the thought of God's people all over this community, all over the Grand Rapids area, worshiping all week long as you go to work, as you drive your cars, as you gather with your families, as you go to bed at night. Just worship, 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 unceasing, unremitting worship. That's what the text is talking about. But it also means, you see, continuous means that we don't just worship God and praise God when things are going well. It would be easy to do that, wouldn't it? Just to praise God when you had a good day, when, when um, relationships are flourishing and the children are thriving and your health is strong and the job's going well. But to offer to God continuous, continuous worship means, you see, that we, we worship God when the way is dark and the road is steep and the grief is crushing. Matt Redman has a song I think most of you know, Blessed Be Your Name. And he captures this, this fact. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and the, and the world is all as it should be. Blessed be your name. And then he says, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. And he's just, he's just taking that from Job chapter 1. When, when Job has all the good things of, of that, that God has blessed him with, children and, and wealth and property and, and his name, his reputation, whatever, all the blessings of God, and Job continually offers up praises of thanks to God, and then he loses all of it by the hand of God. And what does he say? He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Redmond picks it up. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. There's something so incredibly beautiful and holy about the worship of God's people when they suffer. And we're not just praising God when he gives. We're praising God as he takes away. Though our hearts are breaking. And you see, the only way you can pray that, the only way you can mean that, is if you have, if you have your, your heart set on the value of God and you are convinced there's a city that, that is to come, if, if this life really is where your treasure is, you cannot say, blessed be your name, when he takes away. And the only reason you see we can say it and believe in the goodness of God and the value of God and, and be absolutely convinced of the city to come is because we sing that song, particularly in the heartbreak at the foot of a cross where God's own son, Jesus Christ, loved us and gave his life for us so that we will never die. And because that's true, you see, then we, ought, we worship not just with our lips, but our lives. Verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That is such a great verse. Do not neglect to do good. The, the, the writer to Hebrews will awful, often make a positive statement in a negative way. But when he says do not neglect to do good, he's saying embrace doing good and embrace sharing what you have. 
Share your possessions. And this is not just a, this is a lifestyle, not an, not an aberration. And again, you see, it's a lifestyle that is just possible when you set your heart on what is yet to come, the city to come. When you recognize, here, I don't have a lasting city. I, I, I chuckle when I hear um, advertisements on, on the, you know, TV or radio or, or read whatever about how some company is going to help you uh, in, invest your money so that you can have absolute confidence uh, about your retirement and about all the fun you get to have when you're 65. And I just chuckle. Seriously. In this world, I wish they would just be honest and say, you know what, actually, there's thieves and there's moth and there's rust. Uh, we're going to do the best we can, but you could, all, you could lose it all tomorrow. Because that's the truth, Steve. Anyway, is that the truth? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what are we selling? You see, um, what we sell, we don't sell, but what we offer to people is, is God. And treasures that nothing can take away. And when, you, when you've settled on that in your heart, you see, uh, then you're going you're gonna to embrace opportunities to share. If, if, if you believe that here you actually do have a lasting city, then, then you're going to be very nervous about sharing what you have. It's going to be very difficult to give. But if you're, if you're seeking the city to, to come and, and your lips are actually acknowledging the, 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 the reality of the name of God, then, then the heart that bears the fruit of praise is going to also produce a life that bears the fruit of generosity, generosity with your time and your possessions and your home. And not just because there's, you, know, you believe in philanthropy. Let the world believe in philanthropy. You believe in worship. It's worship. And it's worship precisely, you see, because we've offered up ourselves to God. This is a sacrifice, the writer says. Sacrifices are offered to God. And that's exactly how the New Testament talks about the giving of God's people. Uh, Paul will say, I want you to know about the grace that God gave to the Macedonian Christians because they didn't just uh, give themselves to us. They first of all gave themselves to God. Hebrews 6.10, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you do. It's about God. So when you give yourself first to God, then opportunities to give and bless others are not burdens, they're occasions for worship. It's an opportunity to magnify the value of God. It's an opportunity to say that um, I value Jesus and his cause more than accruing wealth. I value Jesus and his cause more than than computers or cars or cable TV, um, more than anything this world can give. You see, that's what our giving is about. When we take an offering, it's in the worship service on purpose because it's worship. But it's only worship if if you're magnifying God in it. You see, if you're just paying your dues, keep the money. He doesn't need it. But if you are worshiping and, and, and testifying, I value God. I value Christ. I, I trust his ability to provide. I embrace the city to come. Then give as a sacrifice to God. Because God is pleased. Isn't that an amazing thing? For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. As you share your life and your possessions and your time for the cause of Christ, for the blessing of, of others in his name, 
It is a sacrifice pleasing to God. You ever wonder, you ever feel just like a failure as a Christian? That, that, what are you doing? And it just seems like you stumble and you fail and God must be so disappointed. And the writer says, no, as you, as you live in worship, God is so pleased. He's so pleased. As you live your life in worship through Jesus Christ, the, the, the reality of your life, the worship of your life is a sweet-smelling aroma. The Lord delights in it. And so, friends, let's pursue it. It's the lifestyle of a, of a pilgrim, a lifestyle of glad praise to God. And, and even when that praise comes through sobs as, 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 we, as we grieve losses and, and struggle with sin, it's pleasing to God. A lifestyle of, of generosity, joyful generosity, and the confidence that we don't have a lasting city here, but we can use our life and our possessions and our time in a way that pleases God forever. So friends, let me just press this home and finish up. What, what's that going to look like in your life? If we're people who are seeking a city, if we're people who are going out to Jesus, then can I just plead with you to, to begin to pray, Lord, make these things real to me. I don't want to live like a Sunday Christian. I don't want to live just from time to time worshiping. I want my life to be saturated with, a, with an acknowledgement of God. So that when I, when I go to work, I'm, I'm acknowledging God. When I, when I lay down in my bed at night, I'm acknowledging God. When I'm raising my children, when I'm, when I'm watching TV, in everything I do, when I'm doing the laundry, I'm acknowledging God with praise, with confession, with worship. When I meet other people, I'm acknowledging God as I, as I seek to bless them in God's name. And all you see because of Jesus. It's all because Jesus Christ has loved us and Jesus Christ gave himself for us. And we live our life in view of the cross all the time. The cross being what he accomplished for us. And all the promises that belong to us because of it, and all the glory that is Christ right now because of it, we live in light of the gospel. Then let's worship. Amen. Oh, God in heaven, we want to be a worshiping people. There is this incredible gravitational pull on our lives to focus on what is here, what's now, what's passing. And God, I pray you would lift our hearts and lift our minds and lift our eyes to see Jesus, to see him every day as the reigning king who gave his life so that we could have life, the one who has called us and named us and embraced us, the one who's preparing a place for us, a place, Lord, that we will soon go. So, Lord, I pray that we would live our life praising the name of the Lord our God. It would be just the driving motive of everything that we do. It would, it would flavor every conversation. It would, uh, Lord, it would, it would saturate the way that we think, the way we feel, the way we act. So that our lives, oh God, more and more are a pleasing sacrifice of praise to you, our Lord our God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond with a hymn of praise. It's a new song for us. You heard it in the prelude. Some of you, I think, do know it. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Just focusing on Jesus Christ and what he accomplished and what is ours in him. Let's stand together and praise.
bless his people with his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance of his face upon you and give you his peace. Amen.